Hi, my name is Beth Reese. I'm the founder of Yoginos, Yoga for Youth, and the host and creator of the Oh Amazing Way podcast. Welcome to episode 13, a conversation between Danielle Etter, a licensed professional counselor with a specialty in eating disorders, and myself. And the reason I wanted to hop on first and give you a little French story is that I'm launching episodes 13 and 14 together as a way to curate my content with as much responsibility and mindfulness as possible. So here in episode 13, I'll be in conversation with a therapist on the topics of eating disorders and body image issues, which is a topic very near and dear to my own heart, as I have experienced that in my life. There was a, a time in high school for a period of several months when I um, literally only ate popcorn and Diet Coke, not the amazing choice. Um, how I've managed that throughout my, my lifetime and, and now growing into um, a very solid, grounded body image um, and embracing all that is me. Um, and then also along this path, uh, and really part of what sparked this conversation is my own 12-year-old daughter, Grace, and I have permission to say this. She came to me a few months ago to share that she's having some challenges, which prompted us to start meeting with Danielle. And then along the way through sharing this, I have learned that my niece, Victoria, uh, also I have permission to share this, um, that Victoria has also in her lifetime experienced some eating disorder, body image issues, and some anxiety. So what you have uh, here today uh, and in perpetuity is episode 13 is a conversation with uh, Danielle Etter, the therapist, and episode 14 is a very courageous episode with a conversation with me and my niece, Victoria, where she shares some of her experiences of managing, becoming aware of, and managing her challenges in high school, and now she is a going into her senior year at William & Mary College. She's presented to Congress about nutrition and just really a remarkable young woman. So I do want you to know that I'm launching 13 and 14 as kind of a, a pair. So enjoy them as always. Listen and pull towards you what really resonates with you. Share it with others. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to get a hold of us and let us know. All right, enjoy these episodes. And Jordan, take it away. When I was six years old and started hurling chairs at my mom, Dr. Beth Reese, in the dining court of the Salt Lake City Airport, she knew something was up. Hi, this is Jordan, and I'm one of her three awesome kids. Soon after that day at the airport, my mom learned that her daughter, me, had sensory processing disorder considered by many to be a spectrum disorder. My mom spent years searching and researching for tools to help me pause, center myself, create who I really am, and then press play. Thus, she developed Flower Power Breath, which I still use to this day in college, and she also found a passion for helping others find their way through the means of yoga. The Amazing Way podcast synthesizes over two decades of my mom's work, bringing mindfulness, mental hygiene, and yoga on and off the mat to teachers, parents, and families in homes, classrooms, schools, and beyond. This podcast offers practical ideas and tools for integrating research-based self-regulation tools into daily life. Take it from me, you want to check this podcast out. Yeah, baby. 
Hi, welcome to the Oh Amazing Way podcast. My name is Beth Reese, and I'm the creator, founder uh, of Yoginos Yoga for Youth and the host of the podcast. And thank you for joining us and dropping in and listening today. Today is a topic um, that is very near and dear to my heart. And I have the Oh Amazing Danielle Etter here with me. Hi, Danielle. How are you today? I'm good, Beth. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. And thank you so much for your generosity in being with us today and talking about um, eating disorders and looking at how they can come about, how we, what we can look for and how to prevent them. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yes, my pleasure. Yeah. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and start as we often do and take a couple breaths together and just really help us, like I'd like to say, put aside the spilt milk of the day um, and really drop in and get present with each other. And for those of you out there listening, um, wherever you are, just really take this time to 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 practice this breath and and be with us. So wherever you are, Find a comfortable sitting position. And so I always sit sort of crisscross yoga sauce, even in my office chair. So I'm going to uncross my legs and hands and rest my hands on my lap. Now, if you're driving, don't, <clears throat> don't rest your hands on your lap. Um, and if it's available to you, softly close your eyes. And if you don't want to close your eyes, perhaps lower your gaze and just find something around you to softly focus on. And from there, let's shift our breath to breathing in through our nose and just breathe in nice and deeply. Perhaps imagine you're smelling a beautiful flower, flower power. And exhale nice and slowly. If you want out of your mouth with a slight ah, that ah is also calming. And again, breathe in through your nose. Imagine smelling something amazing. And that's nice to do when we imagine we're smelling something, we breathe in more expansively and more deeply. And as you exhale, let your shoulders soften, your face soften, let your eyes soften in their socket. And one last breath, breathing in, perhaps feeling your belly grow big like a birthday balloon. And let's breathe out with a nice ah. Uh, <sighs> and softly flutter your eyes open great thanks for dropping in with us and know that you know those three breaths are available to do throughout the day um, when i was head of a school i used to do them every time i walked in and out of a door um, just to prepare myself for whatever was next it's a great way to start a meeting start a conversation with someone like danielle and i and you today so feel free to grab on to uh, just grabbing three breaths to get present anytime. So, um, so today's a big day. I'm actually sharing a story publicly that I haven't shared before about my own adventure um, of having an eating disorder and then learning how that's um, extended into my immediate and extended family. And so that is in part how I met Danielle. And um, what, and I'll tell a bit more about the, the trail to meeting Danielle, but what I want to say about Danielle in the first meeting with her is this, Danielle, you have this like 
joyful, connective way of being with people. And it is, in fact, my daughter, Grace. I have her permission to say that, to say her name and share her story. And she's 12. Um, and she just loves you. And what I get is that you're, when you're with her, she feels heard and supported. So thank you for that. Of course. It's really an honor to meet with people. Mm, I really, I get that. I get that about you. So let me share with our listeners a little bit about your awesome self. And so Danielle has her um, master's and is a uh, licensed professional counselor. Um, she has a private practice in Houston and is a certified eating disorder specialist. She's been treating clients with eating disorders for a decade. Her career as a therapist began at the Renfrew Center in Connecticut. She enjoys working with clients individually and in conjunction with their families and other providers. She has experience working with male and female clients ages 12 and older. Danielle believes that supportive client-therapist relationships are the key to successful therapy. And like, I really get that because I also feel, and when we would come in, right, I always came in for a few minutes to, to hang out and talk. And I always felt really that we, it wasn't just Grace getting support, Danielle, but that you were really supporting mm-hmm. us as a team and as a family. Yeah. And I really always appreciate and still do appreciate that about you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get to that. Um, all of that amazingness in a moment. And so to put some of this in context, Danielle and I agreed that um, this would be a great space for me to share um, a little bit about my history. And I'll try to do that really succinctly so we can um, get to our expert. So, um, so in high school, uh, my senior year in high school, I, uh, I think my boyfriend and I broke up and you know that can be just tragic and it can be, it can really feel awful. And I didn't eat or I ate very little for about a week in my state of depression. And then after that, it became kind of hard to eat. And then after that, I noticed that some people were noticing that I, so in a short period of time, I probably lost like 20 pounds. And um, so then I noticed, and it really, some of this became clear to me in thinking about sharing this story. So in a short period of time, I then noticed that some people were noticing and I was getting some attention uh, from having lost the weight and some of it was positive. And there were two people in my life, uh, my boyfriend who we got back together. Um, and then my very best friend, Michelle, hi, Michelle, um, who were then commenting like, something's not right here. Like I can see your ribs. Right. Um, and that was interesting. The people in my life, the people very, very close to me, under my own roof, who weren't noticing. And I say that without judgment, right? People are busy and know that one of my like winning ways of being is like, I'm always great, right? Like Mm -hmm. everything's great. I'm always, um, and and I'm really like aware of this and working on it, but I'm always making lemonade out of lemons, right? Mm -hmm. So even in that, so that's just also something to notice. So um, it was actually my vice principal at my school who noticed and had me start to come to his office. Uh, Mr. Mori, I'm going to come find you and thank you one day, like today. Um, And so he was the one who really put his foot down and was like, you're going to start coming to my office every morning and eating. Okay. 
So that's high school. I go to college. So I'm eating. But then what I'm doing is I'm calculating exactly my calories and working out to make sure I'm working out the same calories. Now, I didn't think that was an eating disorder. And Danielle, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that still falls in the realm of a challenge. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So eventually... um, so I think really, and, and so all of this is happening, and, um, but I'm, I'm stronger, basically healthy. And then at some point, I started to notice that when I didn't eat, I was a total witch. I was you know, hangry and mean, and there was a ripple effect in my life of how that happened, of what happened then to the people I love, that they would get, you know, I would lash out, right? I'm, it's not a lot of fun to be around someone who's lashing out. So I started to notice that that was related to me not eating. And then I started to notice. So then all of this like curiosity and awareness for me started. And I never had formal treatment. I think I would have gotten through this much quicker if I had, Danielle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually just started really noticing um, and grew in my body awareness of what. So it almost became that I started eating healthy, not so much for me, but for the people around me. Right, so that I could, I could like be my best version of me. Um, and interestingly enough, I think that has to some degree continued in my life as a parent. And Danielle and I talked about this even recently. That even before this happened, uh, that Grace made us aware of this. Um, like I'm someone who like I don't I I could go all day without eating, and I know that that's not healthy. So I eat because I know my body needs fuel. And then I purposefully make sure I'm eating around my kids so they see me eat. Um, and again, I could, I could eat like a hard-boiled egg and avocado and be fine, and that's fine. And with an awareness of my own eating issues, right, I try to model, make sure they see me eating properly. So that's kind of been a lifetime adventure for me. And when I do get down and depressed, I have to be really careful to notice. I choose to be careful to notice how that is showing up for me and make sure I'm nourishing myself properly, even if it's with like starting the day off with a protein shake. So all of that and then flash back maybe two months ago, um, I noticed that my daughter, Grace, um, very much has my build. And um, very much had that like young person, um, you know, just just kind of body before, you know, hormones and, you know, very strong and built very differently than some of her friends who are like, like very super skinny, right? So Danielle, how, how would you describe there's like super, you know, smaller build kids and then like medium sized kids like me? Right. There's so there's people who have a smaller frame and those who have a more medium athletically built frame. And yes. And I, I think you and Grace fall into the athletic medium frame athletic category. You're strong. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, In any case. So I did start to notice about two months ago, that Grace's body was changing. And I remember in that moment going either her hormones are kicking in a different way. And that's actually what I thought. And then I also said to myself, Beth, get, cur- get curious with her. And I remember saying to her, like, like you look really strong, Grace. Like, like you know, how, how's, what's, what's changing in your life? And she just, I remember her saying, like, yeah, PE is going really well, or PF at her school. And I was like, all right, 
<laughs> but I remember then still saying to myself, okay, Beth, you pay attention now as if I wasn't before, <laughs> like really. And, um, and it was really probably very interesting within I think 36 hours of that moment, she came to me one night and asked if she, she could talk to me. And she said, remember when you, you shared with me and I, I've been very transparent with my kids about my life. Um, and she said, remember, and here's a moment of why I'm glad I was, I have been. Remember you shared with me, you had an eating disorder in high school. Yes. How did that feel for you? And I thought, I just, my stomach dropped. And I said, well, you know, and I shared with her some things and I said, so tell me more. Why, why, why are you asking? And she then proceeded to share with me that she had gone, recently gone three days without eating. Um, that, and that what she said, a couple of things she said was, it's like there's this like other personality I have. Like she's like, I know that I'm great. I know that I'm strong and I look good, which I love. She's like, but there's this other thing, like this other personality that, um, and I often joke that like the negative voice in my head, I call Voldemort. She's like, you know, you have Voldemort. She's like, it's like, I have my own Voldemort lately. That's been telling me like, I shouldn't eat and I don't want to eat and all this stuff. And like, I'm sitting with her and she actually told her best friend and her best friend said, if you don't tell your mom, I'm going to. And what I just want to say, what I, and I've thanked her friend and her friend's mom. And, and what I love is that her friend has my phone number. So her friend could have done that, but her friend said, your mom will understand you need to tell her. So then Grace also said, um, she was like, I get this voice isn't me, um, but it's just, it's there. And it's, I'm really struggling to, to not listen to it. Like it's gotten to the place where it's just like, I feel like it's taking over. And I was at a recent retreat where they talked about there's like the life living through you and it's not you. So it's like all of like society and culture and social media and all the external things around us that impact us. So I think so that's, I get what she was saying. And so I was like, um, and then she said, and mom, what you have to know is this isn't about you. There's nothing you could have done. Okay. She was actually 11 at the time. And I remember thinking like, a part of me was like, oh, what, what do you say that for? <laughs> like, <laughs> am I so selfish? And then I told my oldest daughter, Jordan, Jordan said, yeah, well, mom, what you have to get is if you, like, if you make this about you, you're taking away her power to empower her to manage and be strong about this. So I, I have all these like strong people around me. So then comes in Danielle and we've been working with Danielle and Grace is doing amazing now, the next thing I just want to say in terms of, because and Danielle has shared resources with me and this a book, which Grace read the book, and we just have these beautiful open conversations about what's going on. And then meanwhile, a few weeks ago, I interviewed my niece, Victoria, for a podcast because she's doing some research and presenting to Congress, slacker, um, about <laughs> nutrition and eating and well-being. And in the context of... My conversation with her, she shared with me that she has struggled, and I have her permission, um, she has struggled with eating issues. And actually, the next podcast, friends, that will be launched will be my conversation with Victoria. And so, 
Yeah. Like, like there you have it, you know, two generations at least. Um, then, you know, my, my dear niece and seeing it's just, Danielle, I just feel like it's so prevalent eating disorders and body images and people who are very young and not just females, males too. Right. And so I really just want to pause my story there. Thank you all for listening. I feel really honored to get to share that um, and grateful. And really want to hear, you know, from our expert, like what are some things, you know, any comments you have about like what I said and what mm -hmm. I shared and then things we might look for, risk factors. So Danielle, I really just want to hand you that, you know, baton and, mm -hmm. and take us to, to understand these challenges better. Yeah. Um, so it's brave of you to share that story, I think. And I don't think enough parents talk to their kids about uh, their own personal struggles with eating and body image and self-esteem. So I think that um, you really created a, an awesome space for your kid. And um, uh, what, you were what you were referring to when you said Voldemort is, is your, is yes. like that nasty voice. Yes. Um, <laughs> what we call that is externalizing the eating disorder, right? So you have, or externalizing a negative voice. So what you've done there is you've separated your kid from her, from her eating disorder. And that's empowering because you don't have to make it a part of you necessarily. Yeah. So wow. that's, that's actually pretty important. And, and, really, and if uh -huh. I can just say, just and part of how that's happened is in my own growth and struggles of having that voice in my head. That's like, you know, as an entrepreneur, like you can't do this, you know, you right. suck today, whatever it is. So <laughs> as I've named it and I, t and so I just, like I said, I just try, um, or when I blow up at my kids, right. Cause mm -hmm. as you know, I know I'm like, you know, mindful ma, but it does happen. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, but then I, I come back and I unpack for them. Like these are the body sensations I had and I'm really working on catching them and I've made huge progress. But part of that is like, wow, today I can see that Voldemort was really loud and, you know, and let's, let's think about some things I can do when Voldemort's really loud. So, and I share that with them to like lay a groundwork for them to have access to that. So in this, in this case, it, I mean, and I just want to say not to pat myself on the back, but for people listening, um, that unpacking and narrating what my life experience has been laid a groundwork or space for grace to step into and get and then share back to me. Yes. It, yes. What, so what you're doing is you're naming feelings and telling her how to identify feelings. Because sometimes when we don't know the name of a particular feeling, we can talk about the sensation in our body. And we can then say, okay, if I feel tightness in my chest, it might be that I'm feeling anxiety, right? For instance, right? So if I'm feeling um, a pit in my stomach, I might be angry or nervous or, you know, so that's really important. And you're also, you're also prompting her to use coping skills in that moment, right? So, okay, let's talk about a way that I can handle this functionally, this feeling functionally and not lash out. And yeah, so.
So those are two really important factors in managing your feelings. Great, great. And so in thinking about, um, you know, maybe it's the, I don't know if there's anything you want to say about like the family nature of it and also thinking about, you know, what, what to be looking for. Okay. So let me talk about what to look for because the family nature of it will come into it. I'll, I'll talk about that in what to do, you know, how to, how we, how we sort of treat this. Right. Okay. So, you know, you talked about with your story that there were changes. So dietary changes are really important to notice. Um, you might notice your kid, I'm going to use the word kid, uh, but it could be anybody, right? It doesn't have to be a kid. It could be an adult. Um, So changes in dietary habits, calorie restriction, cutting out entire food groups like starches or um, proteins, you know. um, So your kid might come to you and say, I want to be a vegetarian or I want to be a vegan all of a sudden. Um, That's something to pay attention to. Kids saying, I want to do a fast or a cleanse. Well, you know, that could be eating disorder motivated. Um, So also notice an increase in exercise or excessive exercise. And so unless you're an athlete, exercising for multiple hours a day is probably excessive. And And in turn, uh uh-huh. Sorry. And the... So two things. One, in high school, mm-hmm. what I started eating literally for three months, and I have friends who are, are going to crack up remembering this or you know, sort of mm-hmm. crack up, was popcorn and Diet Coke. Yeah. For months. What a balanced diet. Not. What a balanced diet. Yes. The other <laughs> thing, you just, and you're talking about um, exercise, and one of the things I thought was interesting and so spot on was you asked us uh, to make sure to watch how much Grace was exercising and Mm -hmm. that exercise was not to be used for weight management. Right. That for me was like brilliant. Right. Because we want to use it for well-being and for a child, they do not need weight management most of the time. They're growing. So I really want to stress that exercise really needs to be used for a sense of well-being, um, to reduce your stress level. You don't want to use it as a means of, you know, weight control. Awesome. Awesome. So any, anything else you've given us great tips for what to look for? Anything yes. Else? The, so just like in your case, rapid weight loss, um, or weight gain, uh, paying attention to his or her me- uh, behaviors at meal times. So eating really slowly or cutting the food up into tiny pieces, having to chew a certain number of times. Those are what we call food rituals, and they're important to pay attention to. Um, You might notice large amounts of food missing or your child hiding food in their bedroom. That's something I hear pretty regularly. Um, That's something definitely to look out for. Um, Your child disappearing to the restroom after meals or taking a shower shortly after eating. also being isolated after, after meals. That's what I think is really important to look for. Um, and then you have just an increased attention on weight or size or shape. Maybe your child is starting to talk about how he or she dislikes these different parts of, of his or her body. And that's important to listen to. 
Um, emotionally, the kid might be more isolated and depressed and anxious, and that's a function of the eating disorder and what it does to your brain. Mm-hmm. So yeah, these are things that are really important to look for. Um, I will say that just in the case of in, ca- in the case of different kinds of eating disorders, um, the symptoms of anorexia uh, that are maybe lesser known are uh, cold intolerance. So your kid might want to wear a jacket or sweater all the time, even if it's as hot it is, as it is in Houston, right? Wanting to wear a jacket all the time. Um, dizziness, irritability, fatigue. Uh, those are all signs of malnutrition. Mm. So um, what scares me the most, to be honest, about anorexia and bulimia are the, are the medical complications that come with this. So, you know, unstable electrolytes, particularly potassium and sodium, they can cause cardiac complications. So that's really scary. Um, maybe your daughter's period is irregular or she loses it altogether. That's another symptom that's really uh, scary. Additionally, there are, there are vital signs being abnormal. That's something to pay attention to. And that happens with anorexia and bulimia. So with, um, with bulimia, another thing to notice is they might look like they have a swollen jaw and that's actually the parotid glands swelling um, from purging. They also might have um, calluses on the back of their hands from self-induced vomiting Mm. um, or have a sore throat. Uh, So those are really scary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So is that the key? I mean, in my, you know, my knowledge base, a big, when I think about anorexia and bulimia, Mm-hmm. One of the key differences for me uh, is that bulimia is when you're purging. Is that so, yes. difference or any other distinctions to be made between the two? So with bulimia, you'll have a binge and then a purge. Mm-hmm. It is possible to have what they call anorexia purge type. And um, so you remember that with bulimia, you will have a binge and a purge. and with anorexia, it's really a restrict, more restrictive. You can still purge with anorexia though, or excessively exercise. So bulimia is either, and when I say purge, it can be any sort of compensatory behavior like excessive exercise or laxatives or um, Ipecac, Um, anything like that, that you're using as a compensatory behavior to sort of balance out the calories. Great, great. And I, and I also remember what was so great. And when you were talking about, um, you know, how these things affect the body and the brain. And I remember about this time too, that Grace was very lethargic and tired. And mm-hmm. time she said she was dizzy. And I'm always like, are you drinking enough water? <laughs> like that's right. my first go to. And, um, and I remember that, that I also remember one of our first visits with you, um, you said something about, you know, your, and, and just, and I loved your language was very like loving and direct with her. And it was like, you know, Grace, you're growing and you're smart and this will impact your brain. And then Grace said, well, I want to be a pediatric surgeon when I grow up. And you were just like, well, then you, you, you don't have time to be like, have this. I mean, it was, you said something, <laughs> right. 
it was like, your brain really needs food. So yes, um, it was, but it also was a way that, you know, right. For you to connect with her in a way that was her would make sense and then help her see like, this is, this is really important. Yeah. Right. So thank you. Right. But yeah, how yes. it does affect our brain and our body in ways we maybe don't imagine. Right. Um, one other thing I will say is that binge eating disorder, which is which is one of the which is an eating disorder that has recently been recognized, although it's existed forever. Um, that also carries uh risks as well, like gastric rupture or hypertension or diabetes. And so sometimes when, you know, I know there's a lot of emphasis placed on the childhood obesity uh, sort of epidemic, but it could be binge eating disorder as well. So I just want to point that out. So parents are aware of that. And and any, uh, what would we look for, Danielle, with the difference between a child who's maybe um, overweight or having a binge eating experience? So that's a good question. I would say that people who are binging normally do it in isolation. So if you're noticing a large amount of food going missing, um, but you're not seeing your child eat it in front of you, that that might be a sign that they have sort of of binge eating or compulsive or are compulsively eating. Yeah. 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 Great. And so Danielle, what are some of the risk factors that might be uh, associated with this? So I want to dispel the myth that um, parents cause eating disorders because research says that they do not. (laughs) There are a number of factors. It's such a, um, it sort of looks like a perfect storm when you take a look at everyone's, uh, you know, each person's unique eating disorder development. Um, So it's not caused by one factor, but rather a number of factors. So genetics, uh, a family member who has a history of an eating disorder, right? So just like you said, you had an eating disorder. And so genetically, you may have passed that down to your daughter. Um, uh, Biochemically, There's actually, I think that, so research has said that there's actually different levels of neurotransmitters in people who have eating disorders. So there's really a biochemical component. Um, Inherited traits like temperament, like um, low stress tolerance, low distress tolerance, um, comorbid mental illnesses like depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, things like that. And then we have the psychological traits that I think are so important in paying attention to risk factors. Um, So that would be something like perfectionism, uh, risk avoidance, uh, low self-esteem, impulsivity. Those things are, they, people people will ask me, um, what kinds of people develop eating disorders? And, uh, And that's such an interesting question. And I say, well, it doesn't really matter what kind of, you know, the outside does not matter, the race, the religion, the gender. Um, it's mostly those psychological traits that bind them. Mm-hmm. Perfectionism, impulsivity, those things, rigidity, those factors are almost always present when I see someone with an eating disorder. 
Mm. So um, there's this, you know, there's this saying that genetics loads the gun and environment pulls the trigger, right? So environmental factors like abuse or trauma or bullying or a chaotic family dynamic, those things are also risk factors. They, they don't necessarily cause them alone, but they can absolutely activate and trigger an eating disorder. So much more to cover. And so we're going to take a mm-hmm. break. And in the second half, we are going to, uh, Danielle's going to share with us, you know, if you start to notice some of these um, these elements, these traits, um, and you're aware of some of these risk factors and you're starting to put one and one together, um, what you can do and how to prevent um, eating disorders, body image issues, and, and those sorts of things. So we will be right back. And actually, Grace is going to hop in and share with us a little bit about Yogino Sugar for Youth. So thanks, Grace. Interested in learning more about making good choices for yourself, others, and the universe on and off the yoga mat? Hi, this is Grace, one of Beth's awesome kids, and I want you to know that my mom's resources and programs with Yoginos, Yoga for Youth, have your back. Be amazing and check out the trainings, award-winning bilingual resources, licensee program, and one-on-one coaching opportunities with my mom, Beth at yoginos.com. That's Y-O-G-I-N-O-S.com. Now back to you, mom. Hi, welcome back to the second half of the Oh Amazing Way podcast. My name is Beth Reese. I'm your host and I'm here with Danielle Etter talking about a very near and dear topic to my heart and really something we're really seeing in society and that uh, that is we're talking about eating disorders, body image issues, and really being a stand to um, think about how they might happen, what to look for. And then in the second half, we're going to start to talk about what to do uh, if you start to notice um, the characteristics, which some of that we covered in the first half, as well as what we can do to prevent it. And Danielle and I were just talking about that, um, how important it is to get that it isn't, you know, that something is, is like wrong. It is, it's an illness. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's an illness. Illness. And, um, you know, and, and how important it is to talk about it and not to isolate yourself and, and, and to try to take on that shame and, and the judgment to have everybody on the team rally around her, I think was so important not to make her wrong, but just really to love and support her. And, um, and you were sharing with me that there are a lot of people in their twenties, thirties and forties that are now coming forward to seek treatment. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So as I talk about, um, what to do and how to prevent these things. Uh, I'll use the term caregiver because that doesn't just apply to parents. Um, it applies to spouses a lot of the time. So, you know, I'm seeing a lot more of women and men in, in their 30s, 40s, and even 50s come in to treatment for the first time. And they're doing beautifully. Um, and I think that might be due to more education less of a stigma, um, more availability of treatment. And um, I also think that we, 
we stay sick if we live in shame and we, um, we allow shame to keep this eating disorder a secret and more people are being courageous and coming out and saying, I've had this for 20 years and I'm done having it. Um, so it's, it's a really, it's, it's a shift and it's a shift that's really, that really makes me feel encouraged and happy. Mm, that's great. That's great. And so Danielle, let's, let's take some time and think about, um, and again, if you're seeing some of the characteristics or experiencing them yourself, mm-hmm. what are some things you can do? So the first thing to do, well, I have to say you, you did so beautifully um, by your daughter. You really did. Um, the first thing to do is to go to a professional um, who can assemble what, what we call a multidisciplinary team. Um, this would include a psychotherapist or psychologist who's um, an eating disorder specialist or does what we call ED-informed therapy. Um, meaning that they know the best practices for treatment, right? Um, an eating disorder-informed dietitian. So the dietitian can work with them on what their meals need to look like, uh, proper weight restoration, um, things like that. A physician, so a primary care doctor to monitor uh, vitals and, you know, um, vitals, blood work, EKG, things like that. Um, and possibly a psychiatrist. Most of my clients um, are on medication because of, uh, to treat the comorbid conditions like the depression and the anxiety or the obsessiveness that goes along with eating disorders. Um, so that's the first thing to do. Um, I also add that family therapy and family involvement is essential in the treatment. Parents I think a lot of parents fear that they are the problem, but what I want them to understand is that they are the solution with a lot of these kids and teenagers. Um, So the family needs to be involved, whether that's parents, spouses, any caregivers, uh, because this illness affects the entire family. Um, So what might a family learn in in therapy and being involved in family therapy, uh, that might be some psychoeducation about what is an eating disorder. So how to speak sensitively to a person with an eating disorder, how to validate them um, during meals, uh, what their meals actually look like and should look like, strategies for making it more comfortable for them to eat meals and or to sit after meals so they don't use their eating disorder symptoms. so yeah, it's really, really important for families to be involved because they are the solution. To try to seek to prevent yes. this from happening. This is my favorite thing to talk about because it is so important. And I think it's also hopeful. You know, um, it's hard to feel helpless as a parent or caregiver. So I think this is a really, a really hopeful thing to talk about. So I would say, firstly... Um, we need to be cognizant about how we talk to our kids about their bodies and how we speak about our own bodies. Um, this is not to blame parents for contributing to body image issues if they have, but rather to help them be more mindful about how they treat themselves. Um, I've heard countless times from clients that their mothers and fathers were always on a diet growing up or 
um, refuse to give up the day of exercise uh, for fear of getting fat, right? Um, parents will speak disparagingly about their own bodies as, as if something was wrong with them. Um, and or, and uh -huh. I remember early uh, in our meetings, you, and, and with Grace, you point blank asked me like, how are you with your body? Right. And right. I, was telling, I was like, don't. And, and the truth of the matter is, well, I heard my neighbor describe his slightly overweight dog as fluffy. And I was like, I like that. I, I'm fluffy too. <laughs> you know, and, and my response was, you know, I'm 50 and probably for the first time and, and have hit menopause. And so things are a little fluffy around the midsection and have just come to this like compassionate place of like, and this too. Right. You know, and that's and, what it is. Yeah. Yeah, but it and it and it has taken something, right? And and yes. I did grow up with, you know, a, a parent who dieted a lot and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So I so in the space of like the amazing way and mindfulness and yoga on and off the mat, the part of yoga often known as uh svadhyaya, which is self-study. Right? Mm -hmm. I think the more and part of what I'm hearing in this conversation and correct me if I'm wrong is um, as we can become aware of our own histories yes, and aware of our environment and what just from the nature of living, right, of right. what's been presented to us um, and what we've ingested, whether, you know, and I'm thinking like social media and media and all of those things. And yes. Aware of them, we can then start to unpack how have I responded to those external factors. I love that. Um, yes. Yeah. So again, just as parents, we can just be, you know, come to be aware of our own, um, our own influences and how we are yes. speaking them. Yes. Yeah. I also yeah. want to, you know, I, I hear this, I hear this so often, um, moms apologizing to their daughters for giving them particular body parts. Oh, you have my legs. Oh, sorry about that. And you know how, the kid internalizes that as, oh my God, there's something wrong with my legs. There's something wrong with my arms. I know, but it's, but it's true. Um, and I have to say, I, I despise uh, the word fat as an adjective. And not only because it's used to hurt people, but because it's boring. It's boring. There's no good information in the word fat. Thank you. Um, you know, I'll say to, I'll say to my own kids, we don't use the word fat uh, because it tells me nothing about that person. Um, I, I'll say, tell me about his or her personality or interactions you've had with this person, but don't describe their body shape. It's irrelevant. Mm, I love it's that. It's irrelevant. When the kids were little, the words um, stupid and dumb were like bad yes. words in our house for the same reason. They are bad words. Yes, they are bad words. They're so icky. They're, and they're irrelevant because how do you know? How do you know that that person's really stupid or dumb? That's right. It's boring. Um, yes, that. it's boring. Uh, also, the way we talk about food, we tend to label foods good or bad, like sweets are bad and vegetables and fruits are good. Um, I understand the logic completely because we want our kids to eat healthy, obviously. But I think it serves to shame kids for eating certain food instead of educating them about proper nutrition. So um, I like to believe there's room for all foods. And early on in my career, I heard a brilliant dietitian refer to foods as either sometimes or always. 
So sometimes foods are those foods that are aren't nutrient dense, like cookies and cakes and ice cream, right? And always foods are foods that provide us all the vitamins and minerals that we need to be healthy. Um, and just to share a little anecdote, as a kid, my mom and dad did a fabulous job of never labeling food. So I didn't realize this until I became a psychotherapist, but they, they did fabulously. Um, my mom would serve us all kinds of food and we had all kinds of food available all the time. Um, I distinctly remember having a cabinet that had cookies and chips and candy in it. And we called it the goodie cabinet. Um, and I thought that was re really a nice term because it's positive. Um, we didn't eat goodies every day, all day, but we had them around all the time. So I think what my parents did is, is taught us the concept of sometimes and always foods, probably without even intending to do it. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I do too. And I don't think there needs to be a scale in the house necessarily, or the kids, I don't think kids need to see parents or using the scale. Um, we don't really need to weigh ourselves every day. That's really more something for doctors to manage, Di uh, dietitians and doctors to manage. We really don't need to be on the scale every day. I don't have one in my house and I really just don't like the idea of anybody having one. What I will say is I think that's a big problem for uh, body image and it serves as a platform for unhealthy comparisons, right? Um, kids are bombarded with messages and images that are praising not only kids, but as adult to, adults too, uh, bombarded with messages and images praising thinness and appearance rather than ideas or um, new insights that people have, right? Uh, I really dislike the idea of likes because kids will measure their self-worth by something arbitrary like number of likes. Um, I think this speaks to our human need for belonging and wanting to be accepted. So I understand it, but I think it's hurting our kids. Um, my kids think I'm the worst because they'll ask me, when am I going to get a phone? When am I going to get a phone? And I said, well, uh, we have one. I have a landline with an answering machine. So I'll say, oh yeah, well, it's right in the other room. We have one already. Um, because I just don't want them exposed to it. Uh, yeah. So like I said, they think I'm the worst. Uh, this is not to shame parents whose kids have phones, but, and we all have uh, unique kids. And as parents, we make different choices for our individual child. But I do think that uh, too much exposure to social media is really harmful. And, and you and I talked about that and, mm -hmm. um, and you gave me a recommendation for, for grace and probably not just for grace. Um, mm -hmm. and what would you, what would you share would be the recommendation about social media and electronic time like that for, so I think, um, so for social media in particular, first I would pay attention to what they are sort of looking at, um, on social media or what they're putting out there on social media. I think that's really important. Um, I like the idea of an hour a day exposure to social media and electronics um, where you can sort of access that kind of image or information. And um, because a lot of kids will, will access websites like pro anorexic websites or, and it's, it's, and parents don't know, they just don't know. Um, so I think an hour a day is good. And if your kid argues with you, uh, you can say, well, we'll put the phone somewhere and we'll make, you know, we'll make sure that 
you can hear it if your friend calls, right? Because it's not, it's not to take away their connection to their friends, but it's to sort of protect them from just being bombarded. For sure, for sure. And, um, you know, I've shared with my kids, my, I was recently at a seven day silent retreat and we didn't have our phones for a week, which ended up being great. Like when I got my phone back, I was like, I don't want to touch it. Um, (laughs) But they, one of the things they coached us on was every time you pick your phone up and you look at the screen, just notice, are you about to use your phone to distract you Mm -hmm. from life or whatever you're going through? Or if you're having, if you're feeling bored or discomfort about an experience, are you going to distract yourself from reality? Or are you picking up your phone to create a deeper connection with someone? Pausing and really thinking about what what we're doing with with our time. I love that. Thank you so much for your time and for really being a loving stand for people who are experiencing these challenges. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so important to me to talk about this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, if you are out there listening and watching, thank you so much. Be sure to share this podcast. And uh, if not the actual podcast, take the tools, take what you're learning and and share them with others, pay it forward. Um, And as always, have a great day and be amazing. Thanks. See you next time. Thank you for joining my mom and her guests on The Amazing Way. Hi, this is Cole, Beth's son. And for more information on bringing mental hygiene or mindfulness, yoga on and off the mat, her award-winning bilingual resources, and other programs into your home and school, check out yoginos.com. Be sure to share this podcast and remember, you are amazing. amazing.